This is DJ. This is Ish. And this is Pero, Pero Let, Let Me, me tell, tell You. Dale. Should and I know, I know that song. What song makes is that? me happy, and I know in my heart exactly. I don't want to do right, I just want you tonight, not just only in my dreams. Save my best behavior for a little later, cause I'm only 17. And that is the intro to our 17th episode. Because <laughs> we should start every episode with Wait, are we more. really recording? Yeah, we are. Oh, how do you do this every week? <laughs> Some people can paint. I can do a cold open. <laughs> no, you do a cold opening in the most compromising ways for me. Our listeners like it because it gives them an insight as to who you are. So here I am singing 17 by Mandy Moore. Yes. Shout out to Mandy Moore, Shout by the way. Shout out to Mandy Moore. We, we do love Mandy Moore on we the podcast. We spoke about Mandy Moore in one of our previous episodes. Yes, how she's such a like bright light of positivity. It's true. So is Will Smith. That they should yeah. be sent around the world just to... You know, like fix on, things on the new version of the Evita Rainbow Tour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad that um, now this is us is doing well, yes, and it's been yes, renewed it for about 50 seasons. <laughs> Many more's pretty. She's sad. She's mm-hmm. good. She's good. You know what show is not doing well? I have a hunch. Roseanne. Oh, I thought you were gonna say um, Betty La Fea. Betty La Fea. Yeah. No, but Superstore got renewed for... Yes, uh, and actually, Betty La Fea is being redone for Telemundo, but they're going to base it in Chicago. Wait, but Betty La Fea was originally... Uh, it was a Colombian production that they aired in. Okay. Yeah, it's a Telemundo production. Yeah, but it's well, everybody, um, as you heard us singing, welcome to episode 17. We are sweet 17. Not and a I, thing. And I think after this note, in our next episode, we'll be legal. We're going to well, go out and vote. Right. We'll be kind of legal. Well, we can vote. Oh, you know what? Maybe for the next episode, we should just go join the military. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, so so welcome to episode 17. We could not be a podcast that talks about um, relevant and current mm-hmm. events if we didn't talk about the biggest blow-ups, biggest setups, biggest disappointments. I don't want to say of all time, but at least recently. Of the moment. Of the moment with Roseanne. And it's disappointment, I think, is the perfect word. So, I mean, I guess we can recap. Ultimately, Roseanne was renewed basically like for second season almost immediately. immediately. And everything was looking great as about two weeks ago. They had the upfronts in New York, which for those of you who don't know about advertising, is when advertisers go and show up and kind of hedge their bets and say, okay, this is what we're going to buy and this is what you've got coming for us. And really, Roseanne looked like it was going to be fetching some really, 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 really high dollars. And in an industry that's seen declines year on year, I mean, ratings on TV, it's no surprise, have been dropping. ABC was very excited, rightfully so. You know, they've got a hit. And and then, well, and then this week happened. Well, and what I think was really interesting about the ratings of Roseanne is that I think that when we originally spoke about Roseanne here on the episode, when we created, mm-hmm. a, we talked about the reboot for a whole segment, mm-hmm. was um, not only how well the first episode did. Obviously, the ratings had a steady decline, but that happens in all Everything. TV shows. But still, it maintained. Well, the final episode of this, the first and only season, well, the reboot um, season, the reboot season still managed to get over 10 million viewers live viewers live viewers that didn't include the dvr plus seven right, the plus seven correct. so i mean it's a powerhouse like no other show um was getting those ratings so it's such a disappointment because it's a disappointment on on several several fronts number one as a fan of the show I mean, I spoke about it in in the first uh, time we we, mm-hmm. we addressed the Roseanne reboot. I, as well as you, as well as so many people, were a fan of the the original series. And one of the things that we talked on here uh, on our show was 
how was she going to make this current? Correct. Because Roseanne was very, the original series was very much a creature of its time. And the things that it tackled and the subject matter that it talked about, it, it featured back in the late 80s, early 90s are not necessarily things that are relevant or, yeah, I mean, you know. A lesbian kiss on TV nowadays is not a big deal. Right. Or pushing the envelope right. now. So how was she going to reinvent herself for 2018 in, in this world we live in now? And obviously they did it perfectly because not only did the show have high ratings the show was critically acclaimed and they tackled things like obviously the the political climate right. they you know they they talked about children being transgender um or identifying uh, as transgender um or gender fluidity um and and yeah, so many, wasn't transgender and so many current topics so it was a success and now for the show to be canceled because of what she said, and what she said was so horrible. And to clarify, what she what she did was she made. I mean, essentially, it's a, a very racist remark about Valerie former, Jarrett. Va- Valerie Barrett. Va- Valerie Jarrett. Um, Jarrett. Sorry. Obama's former White House advisor. I mean, why did she make the comment about this woman? Because this woman's not even. Well, she had gone. She she. Here's the thing of it. This is why. It's not that you can defend things like this, but sometimes, you know, it is true that certain things are taken out of context sometimes Mm -hmm. when people say things. But she was going on a Twitter, like, rampage. Mm -hmm. She was saying something about Chelsea Clinton. I think she had made also anti-Semitic remarks. Well, she had done a photo shoot a couple of years back with, I forget the name of the magazine, where she was dressed up as Hitler. Yes. And there were, like, little Jewish burnt cookies cookies coming out of the oven. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen... ABC knew what they they were were getting themselves into. I mean, because if one thing, Roseanne has never been shy about being Roseanne. I mean, so it's not like this was unprecedented or, in fact, she had called somebody else an ape Mm -hmm. previously, I think three or four years ago, on her Twitter. Mm Mm-hmm. An, uh, an African-American lady. I forgot who it was, um, but it was somebody in the government. I forgot who oh, it was. I thought it was Jasmine Guy. No. Um, so this is not the first time she had done this. So, And they knew the things about her, but because she was in the spotlight again mm-hmm. because of the right. success of her show, obviously, you know, her words have different implications now and consequences that they did mm-hmm. four or five years ago when Roseanne was kind of in the, in the, in the shadows, if you will. And, and the thing about it is that she said, I mean, it's just probably, it's in the top list of worst things and worst insults you could give somebody who's black, you know? Right. There's certain, you know, there, there's always things that you just cannot say in any way, shape, or form. Well, no, and, let me rephrase that. You can say it. You can say it. You can say, you can say whatever you want. And that's, and that's a big part of this whole thing where people are like, oh, but freedom of speech, freedom of speech. It's like, no, nobody's saying I'm, she I'm, can't say it. I'm going to address the freedom of speech thing in But a there second. are consequences to what you say and what you do in life in general. There, there are consequences. And, you know, again, this wasn't a situation where, well, she said something that was taken out of context or, well, she really meant this. No, no, no. She mm-hmm. in black and white put no what she what she thought, and she called this woman what she called her, and yeah. well, she said she looked like an ape. I mean, it's she, she, she that, said that's she what looked she said. like a the, 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 uh, a cro- that she looked like a a the br- the, 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 the result of a birth uh, of like the Muslim Brotherhood and Planet and of the Apes. Yes, or something of the like that. yes. Yeah. How does she think this was going to be? Received right. There's no any way to backtrack. There's I no mean, way to backtrack. Did, did she think that anybody was going to find this funny? You know, well, I'm sure and, somebody and, did. And I'm she's sure one that of guy these in New people. York. That lawyer found it hilarious. <laughs> she's one of these people that say what you will about her. You know, she can't be a dumb person because she's been successful for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I know that part of her whole th- shtick is saying controversial things and 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 pushing people's buttons and being at times offensive or many times offensive. But I mean, come on. Well, but it, goes, I mean, it but it kind of goes back to a role that. I like to play sometimes, which is, you know, delightfully inappropriate, which is where you say things that are, you're, you're towing the line, but it's all taken tongue in cheek and it's all taken. That was not the case in, in this instance. No. You know, no, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a difference between that, between being somebody who says like, you know, naughty things and somebody who's saying something just so blatantly like, dude, mm-hmm. there's just no way you can 
right. mask this. Or, right. And there's many people saying, oh, she's not a racist. You know what? To me, it doesn't even matter whether she's a racist. I mean, you know, I don't know what's in her heart. But to me, it doesn't matter whether she's a racist or not. The point is that you said this. So you know what? What you have, have to be held accountable. Yes, you have to be held accountable because I mean, it's it's that bad. I mean, it's kind of catastrophic what she said, and and it again, it's so disappointing. Not only because here we are in 2018 and people are still saying things like that, and they think it's like ha 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 ha, this isn't going to be funny and provocative. No, it's not. And again, the show, the show was so good. She's funny on the show. I actually think she's funny. I will say, I like. The biggest thing I liked about the show is that, you know, she she was unapologetically, you know, a, a, a Trump supporter, etc. Mm-hmm. But it didn't always make her the butt of the joke. And I know I'm probably going to get hate mail for this, but I think that's important. I think it's important in this very divided, you know, era to show that the reality is, you know what, there are families out there where one person voted one way, one person voted the other way. Ideologies. You're me? No, right, right, right. That's what I'm saying. You know, ideologies are different within a family, and that doesn't mean that you stop being a family. It doesn't mean you stop loving your parents, your sister, your brother, or what right. have you. And so, I, I do think it's important to have quote unquote unpopular voices or unpopular mm-hmm. opinions to a degree represented in media because it shows, you know what? Oh, we're not all just you know quote unquote tree hugging liberals. Right, but but. I wouldn't even go out and say it's unpopular because generally, I mean, Donald Trump is president. Well, so no, I mean unpopular uh, in the context of the entertainment industry. Uh, enough people voted for him, you know. Uh, well, right. Well, when uh, I say unpopular, because you know Hollywood has a very of course liberal, liberal bias. bias. Um, but enough people did vote for him. So her views on the show, which I thought that the way the, her views were incorporated in the show were were fine, mm-hmm. are the views of a lot of people, Absolutely. whether we agree with it or not, whether we think they're crazy or not. Um, it is the views of a lot of people. So I, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. Just like um, I think it's Fox is bringing back Last Man Standing mm-hmm. with Tim, Tim Allen. Allen. And Tim Allen is a very um, vocal Republican. Vocal Republican and not only Republican, but conservative. You know, right. and, I, and I believe he, he did support Trump and all that. I'm fine with that. You know, even if it's not my own personal mm-hmm. cup of tea, I'm fine with that. It is what it is, you know. Um, but it's just a disappointment, you know, in terms of the, again, what she said in the show. I, I feel terrible for Sarah Gilbert. Um, yeah, she brought the whole Darlene the whole show back. Yeah, she, yeah it's she's her a, program, really. It's her, yeah, it's her show. She's the one who brought it back. She's the one who sat with the executives. I feel bad for the entire cast, you know, especially... Oh, poor Lisey Gorenson and Michael Fishman. I know. I mean, these what people, else are they going to do? I know. Not You know, they hadn't done anything in a while, and then they come back in, and they're in the most popular show in the, in the country. They're probably like, yes, you know, and it's like, crap. Worst part is that they've since also pulled all of the syndication. Yes, so, um, you know, I was thinking that immediately. I'm like, it's still going to be on nope on it, Hulu. Or it's whatever. not even on. It's not on Hulu. It's not on any of the Viacom channels. And so, you know, even from that perspective, royalties, the royalties is affecting so these, this cast. Do you think that at least for the original show, this is uh, this is why I, I have such a problem with this, and a lot of people have, I'm sure as well, is that I, I feel now the show of Roseanne is going to be up there comparable to the Cosby show. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. Our shows that were, you know, groundbreaking, were successful, defined a gener- you know, a generation Correct. or a specific moment in time. You love them, so they're nostalgic, yeah. but now their legacy, legacy is tarnished because yeah. now yeah. you cannot think of the Cosby show without thinking about Bill Cosby and the issues with Bill Cosby. So now you cannot think of Roseanne, at least for now, without mm-hmm. thinking of this major, you know, I don't want to say snafu because that's not, you know, but this major, like, catastrophic, you know, um, comment that she made. So do you think that there's, I know we talked, we, we touched on this in the past, where, you know, separating the art from the artist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's that's a conversation that could be had. But do you think that, as opposed to Bill Cosby, because Bill Cosby, the Bill Cosby, the, the the Cliff Huxtable character, was essentially the good guy, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, and and you find out that he did these, and the Bill Cosby, the actor portraying right. the character, was not that person, and so I can see how that tarnishes the image mm-hmm. of that. Do you think that it's something similar? Because I can almost, on some weird level, in some bizarro universe, 
imagine a character of Roseanne Connor mm-hmm. saying some right. of the things like Roseanne Barr Because Roseanne would. Connor, right, was never a sweet, lovey person. Because, right, Roseanne Connor was Roseanne Barr. Roseanne Barr was Roseanne right. Connor. So do you think that... Actually, what did the Cosby Show and Roseanne have in common? Carson Warner? No, well, they're both <laughs> named after their main star. So, you know, what we always say, can you separate the art from the artist? I think you sh- you can and you should. Depending on what. But the problem is that in both of these situations, in mm-hmm. both of these shows, the artist is such a big part. Well, the characters of are based on the artists themselves, the, to right, a degree. of the art. You know, that's like, I, I would also make the, I would make the argument for, like, if something similar happened to Ray Romano. Because everybody loves Raymond, not only is it named after him, but the show is it's about him. Yeah. But then again, what about Friends? If one of the six Friends castmates said something terrible, do you think Friends would be pulled off the air? Or have the tarnish that this has? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, but depending I, on what, they, what but the action I, is. But I think but. there's a less chance of it. Well, because it was on, number one, it was an ensemble. So you, right. to your point, it's not about, it's, it wasn't the Jennifer Aniston show. You know, it was, and if it had been, it would not have been successful. Oh, no. That woman can't open a movie to save her life. <laughs> Seriously, have you ever heard of, like, oh, that blockbuster Jennifer Aniston movie? No. Horrible Bosses. Well, no, but that that's was not a Jennifer that's Aniston ensemble. movie. Yes, yes. But yeah, I mean, these are shows that they are the main star. So, with this said, with that said, I, I want to talk a little bit because obviously everybody speaks now about the First Amendment and yes. the First Amendment this and the First Amendment that. And, it's not even because I went to law school, but I mean, I you understood. Did? You've never mentioned that. I've, right? <laughs> um, but I knew this even before I went to law school. And just to make this make this very clear, you know, um, because I feel that the, mis- the First Amendment and the Second Amendment are the two most, not even misquoted, misunderstood. Yeah, nobody misunderstands <laughs> the 14th. I don't even know what it is, but nobody um, misunderstands it. So here's the First Amendment, what it actually says. Are you going to read the entire preamble? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people peacefully to assemble and petition the government for a redress of grievances. What the First Amendment means, people out there... Is that we want the McRib back. (laughs) Well, yes. (laughs) Yes. We do want to make it back. I know it's gross, but I love it. Who cares? I don't even know what it's made out of. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah. The minute you will know, you're not... No, you don't want to know. And you know when you bite in, you have that little hard thing you bite on? Just keep I don't going. even know what that is. Just barrel through. Yeah, barrel. Yeah. Exactly. Is it McRibbon coming back? It shows up every once in a while. I think yeah. it's like Saturn. It's like surprise. It's like that No Doubt album, The Return of Saturn. It just comes every so many years. But anyway, in reference, the First Amendment in reference to speech means that you do have freedom of speech. You can say mostly what you want to say because there's certain things like hate speech and. Well, but you, know, you can still say it. That's the thing. Well, no, but you can it, say it. Right, right, right. But the, the thing with the, with the First Amendment and freedom of speech mm-hmm. is that you could say what you want to say free of government. Or federal persecution or intervention. So the government cannot now come to Roseanne and be like, hey, Roseanne, you know, we're going to put you in jail or we're going to fine you or we're going to do this and this and this because no. So the federal government. I would love to see that reality show, by the way. the, The federal, let me say this again freedom of speech in the United States means that the federal government, with some exceptions, cannot you know fine you jail you imprison you persecute you whatever because of what you said i believe the only exception would be like if you make an explicit threat explicit and you have the threat. means with which to carry um, it out there there are certain but exceptions something about, to, something it. to that degree. yes an explicit threat something to the to the you know the whole you know fire fire when you're correct, in a theater correct, correct. hate speech things like that but absent of that okay you know it means that you cannot say you can you will not be persecuted and you will not be fined, jailed, imprisoned, blah 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 for saying what you want to say. And the reason why we're talking about that and I bring that up is because yet again, 
today when this whole Roseanne thing happened. Oh, she freedom of speech. No, Roseanne was fired by ABC. ABC is a private company or or a, 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 actually they're public. It's, but it's, but but it's, it's, it's ABC is a, the yeah. federal government. It's not a government. It's not a government. Roseanne was Disney, for, on the other hand, could be a government if they tried. But they're not. <laughs> but... Roseanne works for ABC and Disney the same way that you work for your boss and you work at an whatever office. It's the same thing. So they can fire her and what she 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 is, you know, obviously open to consequences like what happened now and her being fired. So please, people, when you make a First Amendment argument Please read the read the fine line. Read yeah. read not even read the fine line. Know exactly what it is because that's mm-hmm. what everybody's saying now. Oh, her First Amendment rights, and what about this First Amendment rights? And you know this person's First Amendment rights. You know we we live in a country now where you can't say what you mean. You know you can say whatever you want, but you're gonna have consequences. But that's life. I mean, you can go out and kill twenty people if you want, but they're gonna catch you. They're gonna put you in jail. Right. But the the, I problem, mean, the problem is that people that don't understand this create a narrative. Uh, about the First Amendment that is completely incorrect and, and false. But there's even there's even another whole angle here, which is the fact that you know what? Yes, let's say you know what? Let's say she went out there and she started calling everybody everything that came to her mind. Mm-hmm. That's her right. She did it. She could put it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. She could rent a van and blast it out of the speaker. Mm-hmm. Now let's say ABC had not fired her. Let's say let's say that they were like you know what? This is which by the way the head of ABC is a black woman, mm-hmm. and so for a black woman to kind of sit by and say nothing would be akin to if I was you know in a position of power and somebody was under my employ was berating Hispanics and I was just like I mm-hmm. total. Mm-hmm. You know, her checks were coming. Her checks were being signed by a black woman. By a black woman, exactly. <laughs> so she can do all that. Let's say ABC had said, "Okay, fine, we're going to keep going." Now, what people fail to realize or even want to think about is that a show needs to be paid for. These actors aren't showing up to act, and the crew isn't showing up to you know do craft services out of the goodness of their heart. Mm-hmm. They're doing it because they're there to get a job and get a paycheck. Now, the way that people get paid is through advertisers. Now, if they had kept her on the air, advertisers were already skittish about the original show anyway. Now, they were going to drop like flies. So what happens then? What happens if you have no way to fund, essentially mm-hmm. fund a program or people wanting to appear on it? Well, then eventually you're going to have to cancel that show. So it's it's almost, you know, the First Amendment is almost irrelevant on some level. And I, and I, I, I say that because I'm being maybe cynical, maybe it's because I've been in the ad industry as long as I have. It's a business decision. It is a business it's decision. It's an absolute business decision. And you know what? Each and every person here would make the same decision to whatever degree if they were faced with that type of situation mm-hmm. where it's like, well, if I keep you, I'm not going to make money off of this, but mm-hmm. money's still going to have to go out the door because I got to pay all these people. Just like That's if just I'm sure business. that she would have made a controversial statement that probably wasn't as terrible as what she said, maybe something that was like mightily offensive to about anyone, you know, they probably, in a case like that, they probably would have stuck with her because the show is a moneymaker. But I mean, there's no backtracking in what she said. Right. And yeah, as you talk about advertisers, it, it, it's a business, you know, and then isn't going to do, isn't going to go there. Advertisers, isn't gonna go there. advertisers start pulling out. And then what happens? The advertisers that don't pull out, then have a pressure to pull out. Right. Remember with the whole Paula Dean thing? Yes. I forget. Was it Walmart? Uh, there, there was there was an uh, that seems more in line with there the was a, a sponsor or, or there was a store that carried her products and they said that they would stand by her I think it was Kohl's was it Kohl's I Somebody, forget, I forget that, who it was. they said they would stand by her and they would not drop her well guess what they eventually dropped her because they had this pressure yeah. about what she said. I mean, and we obvi- vote with our wallets at the end of the day. Exactly, we all of us do. I mean, that's why when people call for these boycotts, people are like, "Oh, whatever, boycotts." I'm like, "Yeah," but if enough people decide to not buy something, not view something, mm-hmm. not go somewhere, you know, you start to feel that in your pocket, and that's why you've got like Indiana repealing, you know, when Mike Pence was governor, repealing their mm-hmm. decision. Well, the gay com- was a conversion therapy, or <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why? Because all these other organizations were saying, well, then we're not going to hold our conventions there. We're not mm-hmm. going to have businesses there. We're yeah. not opening up that additional um, headquarters. Money talks. Now, I'm going to spin it on you. Okay. okay. So, with the discussion we just had about the First Amendment and, and, and your employer, what do you think about the current decision of the NFL mm-hmm. t- uh, stating that for the next season, mm-hmm. the players must 
Stand for the National Anthem. Bien hecho, total, total. Tanta cosa, kneeling, and eso. Falta de respeto a este país. No. Um, <laughs> I, I think you know how I feel about this. But I'm going to flip it and I'm going to say it's very interesting that... I just flipped it on you. I know, I'm not flipping it on you. I'm flipping the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, a majority of the people who will stand up and talk about Roseanne's First Amendment rights are the first ones to come in and say, well, they shouldn't be kneeling. Mm-hmm. When that's a more clear, uh, you know, s- expression of your First Amendment, right? Now, with that said, it's a similar situation. Ultimately, that is your employer, and your employer, your employer can make whatever rules they wish to be in place. Now, you can agree with them, or you can disagree with them. And again, I think of, uh, on some level, I don't know data as far as ratings and things like that. You know, if the NFL was being affected by this from a monetary perspective mm-hmm. then they took they put the ratings were down last they, they were down now again you can make the argument that the ratings were down because of this you can make the argument that the ratings were down because the games were probably not that good you can make i mean mm-hmm. a drop in ratings can be a symptom of so many things mm-hmm. so to say that oh people weren't watching because people were kneeling if that were true people wouldn't watch porn you know, you know the <laughs> i mean look the difference between one well, thing there's a lot of differences between that and the roseanne issue and although, but on the face of it, it's similar. It's an employer well, well, saying yes, I, where you, I was gonna, you have to adhere to our that, rules. That's where I was going to go with that. The whole kneeling thing, and, and I've always seen it from the point of view of whether you agree with them or you know whether you agree that they kneel or not. Mm-hmm. It is their right to kneel. With that said, they also work for an organization. The the NFL's again. It's a job the same way yep. that you know if you work for Macy's, it's a job. So when your boss says you can't kneel, they are a private organization. Right. They can tell you to do that. Now, personally, I think they shouldn't have done that. I think they should have let people kneel or not, um, because this is something that you know is very symbolic and mm-hmm. means a lot to a lot of people. But legally, they can make you. Um, well, they can, not kneel. Well, they <laughs> they can could put, make they can you put stand. Measures in place. They can put measures in place to prohibit you from kneeling. Now, I don't. They're going to levy fines. If I you do, don't correct. know if specifically if the NFL said that like players who don't want to stand for the national anthem. I think they said something that like they could leave, be on the like in the locker room or whatever, mm-hmm. or and then come out when the game starts. starts. So they made some type of a provision. Kneel, but they are a public. Entity, uh, you know, they are. I'm sorry, a private entity, Mm -hmm. so they can do that. Now, I think it's kind of cool that the. I think it's the owner of the Jets. I was just about to say the Jets. Said, "Hey, um, I'll pay. I'll pay the fines." I think that's kind of cool, and that's throwing a wrench at the, you know, at the establishment. I was like, you know, awesome. Um, Because ultimately, that's all they can do is is levy a fine. I mean, you can't. They can't fire them for that, correct? Because I think that's a decision based on the coaches. Like the NFL doesn't have hiring, not firing sure. power. I, I I don't think so. I think the firing, but who knows? The NFL's I, I, the, actually I, I don't because know. team owners, uh, team, right? The contracts, a the contracts are with the team, but the teams are part of the NFL. So I don't know in in terms of the legality of the contracts there. Mm-hmm. Who's the boss? Right. Who's the boss of agency? You know, I I don't know. But I mean, yeah, I thought that was kind of awesome that he was like, well. Whoever wants to kneel can kneel. I mean, that's a different story because th- th- that's not in the same category, I think, in terms of offensiveness. Well, because I, I, this like is I a, said, to, this it's is not a offensive protest. to take a knee. Right, I don't but find this, it that's, a, that's a protest. Whereas Roseanne's statement is full-blown racist, period. There's no... And these people are protesting. You may agree or disagree with what they're protesting about or in the matter and method in which they're protesting, mm-hmm. but the intentions are very, very different. Whereas Roseanne's, you know... Pretty self-evident. Yeah. So it's it's a shame, um, again, the, the, the show. Um, but, I mean, she got what she deserved, and she should have known better. Yeah, and now the worst part about that is a lot of other people are paying for her mistake. Yes, Yes. Ultimately, that's that's yes. the saddest part about it. It is, it is because a yeah, a lot of people lost their jobs, and not only the actors, you know, the crew, the crew. The, you know, there's hundreds of people that go behind the production yeah. of a show, and especially a show like that, that you you know, that show is probably going to last for years, at least three or four years, at least, yeah. you know, and there but goes we, Roseanne. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm going to lighten the mood up a little bit before we before we take a break and, and go to our our sponsor, O Chocolat. 
I have some some pretty revealing news for you. Demi. Do you know who is most likely, although it's never been proven, an actual Jedi? Who's an actual Jedi? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just found this out like about a week or so ago, and I was very, I was very, I was taken aback, but I feel like it makes sense. Like a real fictional Jedi. <laughs> a real Jedi. A real Jedi. Um, Demi. Pia Zadora. No. <laughs> yes. She was born on May 4th. <gasps> We've been talking about Pia all this time, and we didn't know she was born on May 4th. We did not know 4th. she was born on May 4th. She was born on May 4th. And when I saw it, I was like, I can't wait to come back <laughs> and tell Darian that she... So, May the 4th. Pia, you... May the 4th be with you, Pia. May the Pia. 4th be with Pia Zadora. How did we not know this? I don't know. I don't know, but I was doing a little... How did we throw her a birthday party? I was doing a little light Pia reading, as I do, little, right. you know, every... every Couple days. Man, this is a real left turn from you know Roseanne <laughs> racist rants. Um, well, I don't want us to be talking about racism before going to our sponsor. <laughs> no, because racism and brownies don't go. They don't mix. No, something. Have as, you ever seen a brownie at a KKK meeting? No, no. but something as vile too as dark. Race, blondies. <laughs> something as vile as racism doesn't go with something sweet and delicious like a brownie exactly. from French. That's French. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but was born on May fourth. May the 4th be with Pia. May the 4th be with Pia, especially if we ever get her on Dancing with the Stars. I, I think about it sometimes, and I get a little, like, nervous. <laughs> Do you know how much we're going to have to call? And we're just going to have to tell everybody we know, hey, you need to call in, call in, call in. You know you know what's really funny? Whatever. I'll share with our listeners yeah, since we're, a, we're, we're friends and we're family are, at we're this all, point. We're all, it's all in all the years that I've watched Dancing with the Stars, and there's been a lot of people that I've been on Dancing with the Stars that I've really enjoyed, the only person that I went on like a major campaign for everybody to vote for, and I'm sure you got my text, Joyce was Candace Sweet. Cameron. Oh. No, it was Candace Cameron. Really? Which is funny because I'm more of a Jody Sweeten fan than yeah. a Candace Cameron fan. But Candace Cameron, like, I would like send it. I would get you the text with like the phone number so you didn't even have to think and I'd be like vote, <laughs> vote, vote and then I'd follow up with people I'm like did you vote for Candace? did you vote for Candace? and I'd like to think that I had a hand in putting her in the finale <laughs> clearly we didn't do the same for Debbie Gibson <laughs> no she was out what the second week? like second or third week yeah how did that happen? I don't, I don't even remember who was on the season blame it on the Lyme disease La garrapata. La garrapata. I got Talia. Damn tick. I got Irene from the real world, <laughs> Seattle. I like that the way we're presenting it is that it's the same tick. It's just like 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 the tick to the stars. You know who ever thought that in common? Talia, Irene from the real world, Seattle, and, um, and Debbie Gibson. What do they have in common? Lyme disease. Lyme disease. They all have Lyme disease. <laughs> Silent killer. <laughs> Anyway, so, so on that note, on that note, we have a great our, interview, interview coming with, up with Alex with Alex, Alex Segura, Segura promoting he, his new book, Blackout. Exactly, which as I mentioned to you, is not based on the Britney Spears. It uh, is not because nobody got <laughs> naked; they had no plans. <laughs> well, good thing it wasn't on the radar. That's a whole, That's a whole other separate yeah, 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 yeah. bonus yeah. episode. So we'll be back with our interview with Alex after these words from our sponsor, Chocolat. Hey, bonjour, mes amis. Et tu fatigué ces brownies de au chocolat? C'est le brownies de ces chocolats, c'est authentic. What are you talking about? Chico, I'm talking about the delicious French brownies from au chocolat. Ah, au chocolat. Of course I know au chocolat. Au chocolat brownies are delicious, authentic, homemade French brownies made with real... Parisian chocolate. Au Chocolat actually brings their chocolate every month from France. It's imported. How sexy. (laughs) And as a result, you get these delicious rich brownies that come in a beautiful box. You love a decorative brownie. And, you know, what's great about these brownies, not only are they delicious, but you can give them as gifts. And they're seasonal too. I know that they have some seasonal flavors as well. They have seasonal flavors. The boxes are also seasonal, so they make great gifts for Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, Christmas. Divorce um, parties. Thanksgiving. Hey, if you call them, I'm sure they can make it happen. And where can they call them at to place these orders? They can call them, well, they can contact them at 
Miami on Instagram or ochocolat.com. And you know what's the best part about this whole offer, right? What is the best part? If they use promo code PERO, P-E-R-O, they get 10% off their order, even yeah, if so they're, they're being shipped. So go on their Instagram page, their webpage, give them some love. They're our first sponsor. We yes. love them. Yes, we so do. they make a great product, delicious brownies, and order and use our promo code. That's right. Use the promo code P-E-R-O again. That'll give you 10% off. Au revoir. Au revoir, mon ami. Listeners, thanks for joining us again. Uh, so we're here, actually, I got, I'm going to speak for myself and Darian for a second. Super excited about the guy we got sitting across from us. It's somebody we've known for years now. And, you know, there's just some people who are have earned their success and you get happy about it. This is definitely one of those people. I mean, I... I I can't. And it helps. He's a really nice guy. That's why we're happy. That's why we're happy. If he's, he's that asshole. Sometimes. <laughs> so we're here with Alex Segura. Um, he's actually a best-selling author. I'm going to go ahead and toot your own Yeah, hype me up. I'm going to toot your horn. Um, you know, he's uh, also, we went to high school with him, so there's a bit of a cheat there as well. Sawasera. Sawasera, that's right. Westchester Pride. And he's currently on his book tour promoting, what is this, the fourth or fifth? The fourth. The fourth of his Pete Fernandez mystery books. And if you haven't read them, you can't sit with us at lunch, basically, because it's, <laughs> they're so damn good. And we're going to get into that a little bit. Also, maybe touch on a little bit of his uh, day job, because I know he works for Archie Comics. Right. Which uh, is experiencing a sort of renaissance, not just in the print media lately, but on TV between Riverdale and the upcoming Netflix Chilling Adventures which of Which I call Hawthorne, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> don't know why not i don't know why he called it that i don't know how i knew that mm-hmm. hawthorne was riverdale. Yeah. riverdale so that's interesting yeah mr <laughs> alex Segura, welcome to pero let me tell you thanks so much for having me it's so it's so funny because i feel like we were just in high school and here we are we were what are you talking about yeah, it was only it was three a, years ago yeah, it's only yesterday <laughs> college is tough that is kind of weird yeah like yeah. The, the dynamic it's funny the dynamic doesn't ever really go away yeah no it's like well, that's why you're old friends. Like, we've known each other for so long. That's true. That's true. So, as we mentioned, you're currently on tour for the, the latest in the Pete Fernandez uh, series. Mm-hmm. And it's called Blackout. Right. Right. And uh, give us a little synopsis for, for the audience of who Pete Fernandez is and what this series is about. Sure. Uh, well, Pete is a washed up sports reporter and he's kind of struggling to become a good private investigator. When we meet him in the first book, Silent City, he's at his bottom, basically. He's... He's just moved back. I think a lot of people, especially in Miami, can relate to that moment where he's just had to move back to Miami. He's left his job in New Jersey. His fiance has just left him. His dad is... So he's really at a bad place. His father's just died and he's drinking heavily. Um, but then he gets tangled up in this search for a co-worker. A co-worker, the lady's father asks him, you know, you used to be a good reporter. You used to be a good investigator. Can you try and find my daughter? And that kind of re-energizes him, but he still has these problems that weigh him down. The alcoholism, the kind of stubbornness, he's very impetuous. Um, that's the beginning of the series. And then by book four, he's gotten his life... To- Can we curse? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, he's kind of gotten his shit together. And um, he is an investigator. He's already had a few cases, major cases. But finally, he's sober. He's trying to get his life in order but he's still pete he's still kind of a screw up he's still very stubborn he still tends to alienate his friends so when we find him at the beginning of the book he's moved to new york but not new york like really hot hot fun manhattan he's in like suburbia spring valley rockland county and he's alienated all his friends he's not talking to anyone in miami he's not talking to his old partner but a cold case that he failed to solve years before pulls him back in. And he's like, I have to go back. And so it drags him back. And it's a case that ties into his own time in high school at Southwest, ironically. Um, so he's a fellow, he's a fellow yeah. Eagle? Yeah, class of 98. Yeah, I don't know how I missed him in class. Well, um, we didn't see him either. Yeah. You would think with all the shit that goes around I know, his life, yeah. we'd have known. We would have seen him. Yeah. But um, the, the book actually starts with him on that breezeway between A and C wing. And he's talking to this girl, Patty Morales. And... He asked her to prom, and she rebuffed him very gently. And she's the idealized girl you always knew in high school, the one you you never got the chance to really have a romantic relationship with. With a good with. head on her shoulders. Totally she's smart. Editor yep. of the newspaper. Editor of the newspaper, like VP of the pep club, all these great things. So but, she's not a bitch. Right. So Pete is the last person to see her alive uh, that we know of. You know, the last person that, you know, spoke to the police and said he saw her. And she goes missing, and then for a long time she's, you know, like that, that cold case that, Miami has so many of that missing girl that everyone's talking about. And then he actually starts to investigate the case as a detective, but it's in that time period early on. So we flash back to Pete right after Silent City. And maybe I'm just giving you too much of the plot, but. Well, I'm going to kind of cut you off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, one of the things I noticed in this latest, uh, I was going to say issue, mm -hmm. I'm such a nerd. No, yeah. It is kind <laughs> of like a comic book. It is. Yeah. Is, and I think you started it mostly with the previous book where you had the flashbacks and flash forwards with time. Mm -hmm. Because before that, it was more about, oh yeah, when Pete was a kid, it was just kind of that. But you're playing more with time. And I know that because of the last book took place with Pete's grandfather in Cuba, there was mm -hmm. a lot of playing with time as well. Is that something that you purposely did in this book because you found you liked it in the last one? Yeah, I had fun because it gives you a different texture to the story. And, you know, with Pete, it's such a linear progression that we didn't spend that much time with him as a screw up. You know, we didn't see him that much in that Silent City era. So I wanted to hop back and show that. But then also show that as a teenager, he had a lot of the elements that made him hopefully the character you like today. Um and for me, it's much more active to be in a scene that's where stuff is happening as opposed to me just telling you, oh, this happened, you know, Pete, this happened to him way back when. I'd rather show it to you. Right. Show, so, tell Yeah, me. exactly. So something that I've, I've um, always been very interested in, in this character in particular is how multidimensional he is. Because as you said, you know, we see him at, at the beginning of the series at a really low point, And then he yet, despite all his vices, he's still able to work and, and solve right. these, you know, mysteries and, and find these people. So I, I guess my question to you is, how, how did you compose Pete? Was Pete inspired by, you know, things you saw, people you knew? Or was it kind of like a work in progress that you kind of started, as you started creating creating him, you started making him multidimensional. Basically, how much of your own alcoholism yeah. did you put into this character? <laughs> Zero. Um, it's funny because when I, I kind of built what I wanted the character to be, and then he showed up. I wish it was a much more like arduous process where I was like, what should I do? But I knew I wanted the detective to be from Miami, and I knew I wanted him to be Cuban-American and to have had kind of similar experiences to us. Like, not 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 lived in downtown Miami, but was a child of the Miami suburbs. Because Miami is such a sprawl. Like I think people that aren't from Miami don't get it. They're like, it's a city. It's a little city. Yeah. No, it's really huge. It spreads out. There's a lot of little nooks and crannies. And I wanted to show that. And so when I knew that, then he kind of appeared. And I knew I wanted him to have baggage. And I knew I didn't want him to instantly be the detective. I didn't want to walk in on page one and he's sitting in his office like having having a rum and coke and the femme fatale walks in and it's all established and he's like, you know, Rockford Files, um, which is very good. I like stuff like that, but it, I didn't want to write that. How do you avoid those pitfalls? Because I think this is very firmly in the noir mm -hmm. era, arena and when people think of noir, they think of what you just described where it's like, you know, the, the gumshoe and she walked in and she had legs for days. Yeah, so, yeah. How do you avoid that cliche? I think a lot of it is just because of the fact that you said it with a Hispanic in Miami, you can... Start. A little bit. And I also didn't want the cliche to be so... I wanted it to be a little bit more of a feminist novel, you know, even though Pete is not a woman, but the, he has very strong female characters. And it's not... not Each each female character is not a love interest, you know. Mm -hmm. He's a screw-up. And it's funny, even in earlier drafts of Blackout, I had my wife read it and she's like he shouldn't be getting lucky all the time. You know, he shouldn't be, you know, that's not real. Like that maybe you're just kind of living vicariously through him, but he should have failures and these dynamics should not just be romantic. Um, and so part of it is just trying to be genuine and taking the, the cliches I like and tw tweaking them for Miami and then kind of jettisoning the ones that I don't like. Now, when you wrote your first book, Silent City, um, and obviously uh, wrote about Pete, did you know beforehand that you wanted to write multiple books or was it kind of like a step-by-step -step process? Let me, let me see how this book goes. Let me see how the next one goes. Or, you know, did you always know the trajectory that Pete has taken? I didn't know that there was going to be a second book until I was almost done with the first one. I was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a novel. This is the kind of crime novel I want to write. This is a detective I want. And I didn't know if it was going to go past that first one. Um, but then near the end of Silent City, he, you know, spoiler, he finds a missing woman and it's Kathy. And they had such great interplay. And I was like, I really like this character. Like, Pete, whatever. <laughs> He's kind of annoying. And he, he, Pete is very much the, the guy we all knew in high school, in college. Like, someone we knew. And, and, and he just happened to go this way and I went that way. But Kathy was really interesting to me. And then I started thinking about a serial killer. And I was like, wouldn't it be great if this happened? And then, then I started rolling into the second one. But I always treat each book like the ultimate chapter like this could be the end like each book could be the end of the series um and even at the end of dangerous ends the ending was kind of like a happy ending like kind of hap not i mean obviously kathy had just been stabbed in the stomach and like you know she was, survived yeah she survived <laughs> and you know bad things happened but there was a moment of peace and you were like i could see him ride off into the sunset and that would be fine it's the same thing at the end of blackout not so much at 
The second one, not so much. At that point, I knew I was going to roll into a third one. But um, in terms of Pete's arc, um, I, I focused more on the character. And I wonder, I know kind of generally where I wanted him to go. And I knew at some point, like around book five, he would be a PI in Miami. And it would be established. And that's, I think, what we'll see in the next one. Okay. One of the things I absolutely loved is not only are you writing a realistic Miami, you know, it's not just, oh, and then he went to Elman first. You right, know? right. No, these are like real landmarks that we, mm-hmm. we know. I mean, again, we're recording literally like three blocks. It's away. so funny you said that. I was like, he's so right. And that actually gave me a picture of where you were. I was like, he lives right by that scene. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you mean you're writing about Miami and it's not taking place in South Beach? Like, exactly. I think there's only one scene maybe in the third book. Or two, there's a couple scenes, but they are not the majority. Yeah, it's, it's almost blink and you miss it kind of thing. Yeah, but um, I think another thing is the way you've kind of woven in real life events into the books, which again grounds it more. It makes it seem more like this "quote unquote" could have actually happened. Oh, good. And in your recent one with Blackout, you do tie in something that I I feel like I had heard about, but I didn't really remember in the '90s. Mm-hmm. La Iglesia de la Luz was like a like a, a religious cult, yeah, I guess, for lack yeah, of yeah. Word. Mm-hmm. I know that we're going through this almost like people with, with the Nexium case, and it's so weird that all that's hitting, yeah, exactly. Hitting. It's like a good time for cults, yeah. So it was like not, it was just a total coincidence, totally. Yeah, okay. no, it's funny. I was revising the book, and they were everyone was like, Wild Country's great, it's about this cult. I was like, Oh man, but it was actually good timing. And uh, the Nexium thing is so bizarre. I, I'm obsessed with that story just because yeah. I think it's I so, read a link you put on yeah, it's so yeah. strange. Um. I take a lot from real Miami crime and Miami history, like, uh, but I, I try to tweak it enough so it doesn't feel like I'm just copying and pasting the mm-hmm. story. Like, I, I like the I take the idea and then I make it my own, and that's I'm glad you said that because I do try to make it feel like oh this could happen. I, my editor once was reading when he was reading Blackout, he was like, "This Sawaya Marlins player was he really part of this cult?" I was like, "This is not real. Like the cult was not real, and th- that that character was not a Marlins player." And it was nice that he asked that because that meant it felt genuine. Yeah, it does. Um, and so it was inspired a little bit by Yahweh Ben Yahweh, but even not that, not really that much. Just the idea that there was this cult that was so positively embraced by the city, and then there was a dark turn. I took that and ran and made it like Iglesia de la Luz and its own thing. So. On a frivolous side, I was really happy to see that you made a reference to A200. Yes, <laughs> yes, I had to. A200 was um, yeah, yeah, yeah. where the three of us actually, that was a journalism room in our high school at Southwest. Yeah, I'm probably going to read that at Books and Books. And I'm sure some people in the crowd will get a, a kick out of it. A lot of great things happened in that room. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of the things I love about it is I always tell everybody, if you read it just on the face of it as a novel, mm-hmm. it's fantastically entertaining. Oh, thanks. But if you read it as somebody who grew up in the area, mm-hmm. you're like... Oh shit! He's at that Walgreens. Oh, he's at the bar. Right. He's at you know. Yeah, yeah. And and it brings a certain, like I said earlier, a level of believability because I'm so tired of seeing movies, TV shows, books where it's like it takes place in this bizarro version of Miami that does not exist. I I pull the plug if I, I'm watching something quote unquote in Miami on TV and it's filmed in LA. Like you can just tell you're like Always. this is not yeah. You it's, mean like Dexter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where are those palm trees? I would look at that. Well, but actually, one of the things that I've enjoyed about the the books, and it's exactly what you were saying, is that, yes, you are writing about Miami, which could be very cliche, and you're writing about a private investigator, which could be very cliche Mm -hmm. as well. And you you kind of, you know, you do a great balance of, you know, writing enough about both Miami and, and the, you know, Pete, that it's not something like foreign, like, you know, he's like this crazy PI, but at the same time, they're unique enough that it has your own very specific angle on it. So it doesn't necessarily alienate the reader, but at the same time, you're reading kind of something, a, a fresh take on it. Yeah, I wanted to honor like the traditions of the genre and have the PI, like, I read so many great novels when I was kind of ramping up that were so strong in setting, like different novels by different authors, like Laura Lipman has a series in Baltimore and George Pelicanos does his books in DC. And I felt like I was visiting those cities. And I, I said, I, I guess the hubris and the ego of youth, I was like, I'm going to do this for Miami. And I, I don't know if I would have decided that today if I did it. So I'm glad I did it as a young and kind of more impetuous person. But I wanted it to feel different, but also like evoke those classic things. Um, well, congrats on doing it thanks yeah it worked one of, the, one of the only other authors i've read and it's a, like a similar genre mm-hmm. who manages to capture that south florida feel when he brings his characters down is Meltzer. Brad Meltzer. he's great yeah and again he's based out of fort lauderdale right yeah he so lives here he lives here so mm-hmm. he knows the area yeah i get that same vibe 
Yeah, and it's harder though, especially not living here full time. Like I'm down. You've been in New York how many years now? Like twelve years. Um, But my family's down here, and I spend time here. And when I'm here, it's never for like a stop in. It's like a week, so I get to kind of absorb. Um, Or even something like Metro Zoo is in blackout. I mentioned Metro Zoo, and that's because I had just been there with my son, and I was like, this would be a great spot for something. And not that Metro Zoo is like a really not there yet. So yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. or, you know, like restaurants or things like that. And um, it drives my wife crazy because I'll be like, this would be a great spot for a murder. <laughs> like, if what if they found a body here and she's like, we're on vacation. Like, please. But, I'm just trying to enjoy my... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just trying just, to yeah. embrace this, like, tropical paradise. And you're thinking about stuff like that. But it's it's such a good setting for crime. Like, it's perfect. And untapped. Yeah, I think and so. Mm-hmm. As well. yeah, yeah. So... I guess before we switch gears, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything else. You Actually, one of I, I one one of the things I did want to kind of talk um, ask you because we're catching him before his reading. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, if I'm in the zone <laughs> for the like general. You know, our, our listeners in general. You know, um, is you know you you went to high school with us. You you started in Archie's comics and you just broke this your first book, Silent City, some years back. So if you could tell our, our readers, I'm sorry, our listeners, yeah. Um, you know how to start how to start in 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 in, in publishing and and how you got your start mm-hmm. and how you know somebody with good ideas and decent writing skills yeah because most can, people can will write say their book. oh i can't do that not because they can't write the book but right i don't know where to start right yeah no it's hard i think the one thing i always did is i researched the industry i wanted to be a part of and comics i was a fan so i knew like who the editors were and who the you know the publicists were but i had you still had to kind of find the gap you know find your space so i started writing about comics like for wizard or newsarama and then at the herald when i was at the miami herald i wrote reviews for graphic novels and that would get me in touch with a lot of the publicists and then finally one of the publicists at dc who ended up being my boss was like we have an opening would you consider moving to new york like yeah so he saw in my writing about graphic novels that hey maybe this guy could flip the switch and write you know promotional stuff for us and so i took that job and then then you start working the gap from that vantage point. I was in publicity, so not really writing comics. So then it's just keeping your eyes open. And then always writing. Like, I was always writing something, like, creatively. Even there's a drawer full of things that just, you know, you were just doing at the time that never became what you wanted. For novels, I hadn't even didn't even think of the publishing stuff until I was done with the draft. You know, you have to make sure that the book is so good that when you are, we find that opportunity to hand it to someone, it's ready. I, I've seen a lot of people who are just like, well, I'm halfway through a novel and I want to find an agent. I'm like, you don't want to find an agent yet because you, you'll you burn that bridge kind of. You know, you'll, if you hand them a half-baked first draft, they're just going to say, no, you know, I've got 10,000 people knocking on my door that are buttoned up and ready to go. And that's great advice that kind of translates to a plethora of things. You yeah, know, finish demo, something. Finish yeah, it, the yeah. best advice I would give to a writer is to finish something. Sit, you know, do the work get into a routine for the work and then you know it's so easy to get enamored with the idea of it like you know i'm gonna have an author page i'm gonna build a website it's so there's so much so many rabbit holes to fall through but the key is to just the work is the most important part and everything else is going to just spring from that that is the hardest part from my experience it is it's really hard writing yeah absolutely and it's finding the time first Mm -hmm. of all because like you have a day job yeah you got a day job we all have Mm -hmm. you know other things that we're doing we got families you got kids yeah and it's finding that spare moment but at the end of the day, I'm a firm believer that if you love something, you're going to find You'll do the it. time yeah. to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's also you have to be willing to sacrifice. Like in my 20s, I would play a video game for eight hours and I would that would be feel productive. And it's not to disparage that. I think everyone needs hobbies. But if you want your hobby to become your career, you treat it like a, a job. You have to say, you know, I have an hour. I'm going to bang out a chapter. Absolutely. So. Um, so before we switch gears, like I said earlier, how much how many more adventures do you think Pete's got in him? It's funny because I always think about killing him in each book. I'm like, this is oh, it. This is the last one. I'm done. Not because I don't like him. I just think at a certain point you're pushing plausibility. Um, so I definitely am working on the fifth one, and then we'll see after that. Okay. So at least one more. Right. Well, I know congratulations are also in order. Oh, thanks. Because I saw... Dude, this guy, seriously, you want to talk about local boy done good? I couldn't escape this kid on Entertainment Weekly, Hollywood Reporter. Oh, sorry. Um, the barrage. Yeah, yeah. But a good barrage. Yeah. So it got optioned. Yes. Series. Yes. Hopefully. Can you say anything about that, or is it too early, or should we just say congratulations because that's pretty fucking badass? It's it's there's so little to say. It's just the it's Ryan Maldonado. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Who we went I to high school. I could say. Yeah, 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 yeah. He and his partner optioned it because Ryan. We also went to high school. We also went to high school with Ryan Maldonado. It's so <laughs> I, ironic because we had lost. Con- I mean, we'd always stayed in touch like in a Facebook way, but then he circled back to me and said, "I read the book and I really like it." Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I said, I have another one coming out. And then that's when the conversation started. And it's so perfect because both guys are from Miami. They know the kind of Miami that these stories tell. And, you know, it's so early in the process. I don't, it could be nothing, but it could be something. So, right. But still fantastic. You know, Very like exciting. That, yeah, I'm yeah. proud of Alex. We are <laughs> proud of Alex. I've yeah. always seen it as a TV show. So, it, But I've always said it like, you know, it's, it's great when good things happen to good people. Because, oh, thanks. Because we've known Alex for so long and he's a friend of ours. It's like, he's genuinely such a like awesome guy that it's like, it really warms your heart. So oh, okay, thanks. Like, you know, yeah. a good yeah, person yeah. succeeding in today's, you know. I try not to be too terrible. Today's, you know, conflicted world. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I would be remiss if I didn't touch on, because I'm a big old nerd. I'm mm-hmm. thinking you're drinking out of a freaking team time. I love style. it. Yeah. Uh, Perez. I got my... Oh, my, my Donna Troy sketches back there and oh, totally nice. nerding out. Is that an Adam Hughes sketch? That is an Adam wow. Hughes sketch. I got an Adam Hughes, George Perez, a Nick Cardi. Yeah. I have on this wall a Franco and an art, which you can't see because of the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're great. And I haven't framed it yet, but I do have a Phil Jimenez as well. Oh, this Phil is awesome. This is a part of the conversation where I'm a little out of my element. <laughs> uh, you are the co-president. Right. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, if you had told me, like I said, a couple years ago, we'd be... Talking the Buzz Show, the Water right. Cooler Show, yeah. Riverdale, you know about the Archie comics. I would have said you are insane and uh, yeah, crazy person. Bye bye. Yeah. What do you attribute to to the fact? I mean, I know you guys have taken some liberties. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not the same Archie, you know, Jughead love triangle dynamic. What do you think attributes to the popularity of it? I think Archie is a hugely recognizable brand and that's what was seized on like around 10 years ago when our CEO John Goldwater took over the company and he came in and he saw that the brand was going to go two ways. It was either going to calcify and become, and with no disrespect, more of like a Popeye, Betty Boop, like one of these just perennially retro brands, or he could push the envelope and make it something else. And um, he chose that path and he chose to take risks and he chose to... Uh, life with Archie, right? Or, yeah, Life with Archie, which was like this alternate universe take where in one timeline he's married to Veronica and one he's married to Betty and then the introduction of Kevin Keller, like the first gay character in Archie Yay. Comics. And, uh, I totally fanboyed when I met Dan Parent. Yeah, he's I, awesome. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he did a sketch for me and I... I on behalf of the entire LGBT community, yeah. like, I thanked him for Kevin Keller. Yeah, no, he's amazing, and what a great addition to like the Pantheon. And then he's been so embraced too. Exactly, it, it, it feel, it's one of those things where Kevin just feels like he was always around. Yeah. It's not like he was just added on, or um, and then stuff like Afterlife with Archie, where it's a zombie apocalypse, or uh, Sabrina the Chilling Adventures, where right. it's a much more horror take. All that kind of set the stage for Archie number one, the relaunch by Mark Wade and Fiona Staples. And the idea with that was just to modernize it, to make it look a little more modern. And then you still have the classic Archie on the digest in the newsstands, um, which is still that classic. We're at the chocolate shop with, yeah. you know, is Archie, yeah, is Archie going to go out with Betty or Veronica? But it's still a little more modern. It feels like the stories are happening today. And I think the worry for John coming in was it feels like these are happening in the 50s like why don't why doesn't it feel like it's happening today like it can still be family friendly and and engaging but it can be modern and all that i think set the stage for Riverdale like all the headlines we were getting all the attention we were getting all the sales for these new takes on Archie finally caught the attention of a bigger world and now and now it's being shown every week on the CW which is crazy and something that we've actually talked about you and I Darian is you know how tv viewing has changed i mean obviously it's not the same as it was before is it, I, I kind of make this assumption, Riverdale really became a buzz show because of Netflix, right? I mean, after season one is really when I think more people discovered That's when you discovered it. Yeah, I think, I think the show. so did my father. My father oh, really? Watches, my father watches Riverdale. <laughs> That's awesome. Which is really odd because my father's in his 72, but my father watches Riverdale. <laughs> That's great. But again, they're timeless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, it's, I mean, it's, clearly it's, they are. Yeah, the first season did well, and then, yeah, I think you're right. Once it hit Netflix and everyone just binged on it, and uh, now the next season's on Netflix and you're seeing a lot of more chatter. It's, it's, it's a whole new mindset with streaming. Yeah, well, I mean... I think that's pretty much it. We don't want to keep you because we're like literally butting up against the start time. Of oh yeah, I got to hop in the car and head to books and books. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole like six blocks away. Oh uh, yeah, but, can I walk there? <laughs> you, actually, you can. We were gonna walk there. If you oh really? Go with oh us. sure. Yeah. yeah. No, we're we're gonna drive. He's, we don't want to make sure he's late. Yeah. He's such a Miami guy. <laughs> Alex is the New York. I was like, let's right? walk there. Let's yeah. Walk there. 
But um, thank you again so much, Alex. Oh, it was a and pleasure. Again, guys, if you haven't picked up the Pete Fernandez mystery, I think that's the actual title. Yeah, Pete Fernandez mysteries. mysteries. The latest one is Blackout. It's available. I mean, let's face it, it's everywhere. It's on Amazon. You guys can get it. I can't recommend we'll, the series. We'll put enough. some pictures and absolutely links. will. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And we're about to actually we're gonna head out now to his book reading, and so yes, sir. I have yet to miss one. Awesome. Yes, your attendance is perfect. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. Thank (laughs) you guys so much. This was such a treat to like just hang out and talk old times. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Better let me tell you. Anyway, that was a great interview with Alex Agora, right? That was a fantastic interview with Alex. I mean, again, I know we said it in the interview, but he's just such a good person. Yeah. (laughs) And as if he didn't already have so many wonderful things going for him after we interviewed him I found out he's actually just signed on to do a true crime podcast as well so we influenced him yet again you know what Alex will expect the royalty checks anytime. yeah exactly any Alex any day any day I mean I at the very least I mean I shouldn't have had to pay for the latest book I'm just saying when you send a royalty check send it cash so we don't have to pay taxes yeah, for it I don't want to have to the government no no so at that point I think it's just called bribery <laughs> We've reached that moment we in the have show. That moment of and I was gonna give my last soda to someone else, but just last minute now. You know how I'm gonna give my last soda to the desert too. Sometimes I have to say, knowing your reaction and knowing you're gonna love my last soda of the <laughs> desert is kind of one of the reasons why I pick certain people. Aww. So I'm gonna give my last soda of the desert to freaking Talia. <gasps> DJ, que felicidad. <laughs> Talia was on Wendy Williams a couple of weeks ago or last month. Yes, yes. And, oh, and you guys have to see this interview. Yeah, I mean, she was fantastic. like in a sit-down interview on yeah. the Wendy Williams she, show. In, in addition to everything she does, singing, acting, she's also one of the producers of the Donna Summer musical. Niño, callate. This is my soda of the desert, I'm not yours. In the background. I was exhausted by the time I finished watching the interview. I was just like, I think I need a Coke. Like, I need some caffeine. I need a Red Bull. Because she came in there in her natural bubbly self. She's like, oh, look, Wendy. Every clothes that I'm wearing, my skirt, my blouse, my shoes. It's all the Talia Sodi collection. The earrings. She talked about that. She talked about the Donna Summer musical. She talked about a new single and video. She talked about... Wait, I think she drops this week. I don't know. She talked about... Actually, she drops it on Friday. Okay, well, there we go. So, pero dame Friday. Yep. So she talked about all these things while being positive and and and, and all like everything was like <laughs> yes because we love and Latina and it's like and there's Wendy Williams you know being her ratchet self being like oh because you know she's married to Tommy Matola and Tommy was married to Mariah. He she mentioned Mariah like three times and Easily. Talia Talia was like. I'm not gonna talk about no. Actually, no. Talia just like made no reference. Yeah, Talia was just like, yes, that's true. Anyway, look at these earrings. <laughs> but it's so funny because you know Wendy wanted to like have her, you know, pull no. her in to like the you know Mariah, you know, thing. That's and, not and, her word. And Talia was like, oh yes, because I'm Marimar. <laughs> and you know what, Talia? Let me tell you something. Talia, if you grew up watching Talia, which probably a good percentage of our listeners, if, you know, if they're Hispanic. You know, grew up watching her soap operas. Yeah, and you know, remember her on Siempre en Domingo when she used to sing with the flowers the and songs the bangs. You, know. The, you know, she was on Siempre en Domingo every week. Every week that girl was on Siempre en Domingo. Do you know any of the songs that she did in the early night? Because I don't know any. I mean, once she did Maria de Barrio, Marimar, right, and, right. and, and, and Ecstasy. Yeah, right. right, and Beyond, yes. But prior to that, she was on like every week. And we watched it. It's not like we didn't watch it. We were there front and center, but, you know, she's just, what I like about her is that, you know, she's always been who she is. She's positive. Yeah. She's never tried to have an edgy side or like, you know, oh, I'm going to be interested. I mean, the edgiest that she's ever gotten in her career was when she did that album and video, that live album, Primera Fila. I think in 2009, 2010, that she, it was like kind of an acoustic, yes, like yes, kind yes. of unplugged yeah, yeah, yeah. record. Yeah. And, and she did like the video. It was kind of like an MTV unplugged. Mm-hmm. And she was like wearing like minimal makeup. That does like, you know, because she wanted to show that like the musician right. part of her. But with that said, if you're not already following her on Instagram, you have to follow her. Like she don't give a shit. You get her first thing in the morning without makeup. Mm-hmm. You get her using weird filters. You get her with her parakeet Pikachu. Um, it, she's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, she just really is. So Dalia, 
por amor a la mexicana y porque tienes piel morena. Oh, I like all these references. <laughs> y, y tú y yo. We love you. So, you got my last Coca-Cola of the desert. Ay, gracias. I just picture her being like, ¡Tú estás feliz! She's always happy. She's always happy in interviews. It's like, can you imagine if Talia, like, what she said, she's like a real bitch. Like, does that even happen? Again, as somebody who was groped by her, mm -hmm. that was nice. And she was mm -hmm. very lovely when I thought she wasn't hearing me. And I said that she looked gorgeous. And she turned around and said, thank you. Mm -hmm. And was taken away by security. So She didn't grope me. She just, whatever. Anyway. No, but, you know, but she was very nice. She was very kind. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't know how to top that. Because <laughs> after Talia, I feel like we can just end it right there. Let's Are you going to give it to Heifer International That's again? a lot of... You know, you need to stop with the Heifer. These poor people are out there trying to make a difference. And I you know. are laughing at them left and right. I'm sorry, Heifer. I'm generally a very... I mean, if anybody... That's such a me thing to do. What yes, you're doing. Is. It, it's, it, what's it, happening? It's, we're flipping, flipping, the, flipping the papers. Okay. Well. Uh, so my last my last soda is actually going to a show that just recently wrapped up its first season. It's on BBC America called Killing Eve. I was going to say o. it's not Roseanne. It's not. <laughs> also wrapped up its first season. Just didn't know it. <laughs> Only season. <laughs> um, so it's called Killing Eve. Sir Sandra O. Oh. And it, she's actually the Eve that is referenced in the title. And it's basically she's plays in former MI5 operative who gets kind of caught up in this web of this international assassin, this female assassin, and it's about their cat and mouse game. But it's so, it's just so entertaining and it's so inappropriately funny at times. And it, I mean, it really just draws you in. And so I think it wrapped last week. I haven't seen the, the season finale yet, but it was about seven episodes, mm -hmm. you know. British, series. British TVs. Yeah, exactly. It's the first series. First series with seven episodes. And I think, I know it just got renewed for season two, but I think it got renewed for season two and three. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's only like seven episodes, so. Mm -hmm. it, but they're an hour, right? They're an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just, it, it's, if you like espionage, which I know you like actually mm -hmm. espionage, but it's it's espionage with a female twist. When but, you said MI, I thought you were going to say MI6, and I was like, what? No, she's one below. She's not, I mean, you know, she was on Grey's Anatomy. They're not going to give her clearance to MI6. <laughs> And so it's just it's really great. The acting is fantastic. Um, it's a female female led cast, mm -hmm. which I think that in and of itself gives it a twist to begin with. It's on Netflix, you said. It's not on Netflix yet. It's on BBC America. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's going to be on Netflix or Hulu or, or what it may be on Amazon is, because Amazon airs a lot of BBC content. Trust me, I know. Possibly, possibly. I, yeah. You know, you know, as they say, I'm a guanaso, but I'm also an anglophile. <laughs> an anglophile, that's true. It's <laughs> what a conundrum. Well, it's a nice thing. It's a nice thing to be a, a blend. I just find that BBC poly blends. <laughs> PBC, uh, PBCs, uh, the BBC's um, content is so far superior to a lot of content that we have here. Uh, yes, I know. I mean, I think also to a part of that is because they do smaller seasons, so mm -hmm. obviously the. The budget goes further because they're doing less. Maybe, you know, but so I mean, I just find that their their content is generally very good. Yeah, in general. Yeah, even if it's like a documentary. Yeah. So that's my last soda. It goes to Killing Eve, you know, TV show. After after doing very heavy ones for the last couple of episodes, like, yeah, you know, it's nice to be frivolous again. Well, I don't know. You weren't more frivolous than Talia, but you know. But this is not a contest. It's the last Coke of the desert. Oh, that's so, true. That's true. With that said, we hope everybody enjoyed yeah. our 17th episode. Thanks for coming. We certainly by. did. And as always, we hope you learned, you listened, you laughed, and you learned. So grab your pastelito, your croqueta, and your jupinha, and have a great day. Yeah, and don't forget to subscribe to iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And feel free to leave us a review. We like to hear what you guys think. Take care. <laughs> bueno, bye. Bye.